Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Like you and me uh, to write, maybe some of you have poetry, never underestimate the ability for God to give you a song uh, that can be turned to music. And uh, so think about that, consider that. Let's find Titus chapter number two and stand in verse number 13. Titus 2 and verse number 13. Let's read this together out loud. Titus 2 and verse number 13, joining with me at verse number 13. Ready, begin. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Go on. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority let no man despise thee. Father, would you guide us tonight? This is your word. Again, we open it, needing you to speak to our hearts, and I pray that you would give uh, just real clarity to this time, that you would uh, guide our, our thoughts. Uh, please, Lord, help us not to be distracted in our hearts, uh, just to receive with, with meekness the engrafted word uh, to guide us this week. Lord, we certainly do need that. Thank you for ministering to us through song and testimony and just through a good time together tonight. Thank you for our children, and, and thank you for our, our teens, and Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, and we just ask that you continue to work tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's be seated. Thank you for standing. So the focus of a healthy church, uh, looking at Titus, how he says there, um, Paul says to him, for this cause, in verse 5, I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or lacking there, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee. And so he has uh, sent him there to make sure that he's bringing health and bringing uh, structure to the church and making sure that things are running in order, but that things are in spiritual order as well. He uh, deals with the fact that the leadership immediately needs to be uh, healthy in the way that they lead, that they need to be qualified. And so he's dealing with this uh, in a very strategic, very uh, very real way. He goes on from the leadership and how it needs to be healthy. He deals with the how they ought to deal with false teachers in the church and the vain talkers and those that are rebellious and against the truth. And he deals with all that and then gets into chapter number two and really focuses in on the, the application of the truth. If you notice chapter number two and verse number one, but speak the things which become sound doctrine. We've said this over and over, but the idea of speaking the things, declaring the things that become sound doctrine, he was to, he was to preach, he was to declare, he was to teach, and those that he ordained were to do the same. They were to declare the things that, were in balance with sound doctrine, uh, became sound doctrine, adorned sound doctrine. And so what we're talking about really is the application of sound doctrine into their lives. And we see that in verse number two and following, we see that he immediately begins to apply the scriptures, the sound doctrine, into how they are to interact with one another in the relationships within the, the church. The older men, uh, the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. 
all of those are to be dealt with. The servants or the employees and even the pastor uh, himself, making certain, uh, the leadership himself is to be making certain that all of it is healthy and that it is in balance with sound doctrine. That leads us to verse number 11, where we are told that the grace of a healthy church, uh, that grace that saves us is sanctifying us and setting us apart. Grace doesn't allow us to sin, but sets us apart from sin. It enables us not to sin. And so this grace is to be relied upon. You're to listen to grace. You and I are to listen to grace every single day, allowing it to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world right now right now god wants us to be able to live godly and it's grace that will enable us to do that so no matter what happens in our world no matter how bad it gets around us we can live godly in this world because of the grace of god amen amen are you with me Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for the grace of God because it's kind of hairy out there. It's crazy out there. And so I'm thankful for the grace of God. But listen, the focus of a healthy church, with that background in mind, the focus of a healthy church, what's the outlook supposed to be? What is the general attitude? Do you ever get around somebody that has a mood? Yeah, sometimes people have a mood. Like sometimes it's a blue mood. You know, they're just down about everything. What do they call those people in the world? Don't be a... A, a, a sad, sad Sally, something like that. Uh, anyway, there's other ones. Don't be a Karen. You know, you have all these different statements out there uh, and, and, and so on. Uh, don't be that person. You know, sometimes people say on different moods that are out there. You ever just get around somebody, just, they, they couldn't be happy if, you know, if they were handed a million dollars. They just aren't happy. But we are to have a, an outlook, a focus, a mood, if you will, as a church. What is that mood to be? It is always to be this. No matter what's going on, we ought to be able to, at a moment's notice, we ought to be able to just kind of um, put our, our eyes upward and say, hey, but Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Yeah, it's bad down here, but Jesus is coming again. It's pretty divisive down here, but Jesus is coming again. And so notice, as we're living godly in this present world right now, he says, while you're doing that, make sure that you're looking, that you're constantly looking, that you're, you're, you're paying close attention for one thing, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the focus, what is our focus to be? Now, just a few weeks ago, we uh, celebrated the resurrection. Today is Resurrection Sunday, amen? Uh, today is the day that we celebrate his coming out of the grave. We, we gather in his honor. And the Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And God wants us to constantly be able to, moments notice, just be able to constantly be looking up. Yes, uh, all these things may be uh, a, a problem around me and there might be some disappointments around me but we we have a hope we have somewhere to be looking and notice how we ought to focus on our confident expectation looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing this is the rapture of the church we're looking forward to that and the rapture of the church is the next thing on the prophetic calendar now we are pre-tribulation we believe that that's our our doctrinal position on the end times or eschatology we're pre-tribulation we believe that jesus returned the second time to earth uh, before the millennium pre-millennial and so we believe there's the rapture 
and we believe that there is the, the tribulation seven years, and we believe that there is the second coming as Jesus comes down to bring justice for his people. He comes down to rescue his people at the Battle of Armageddon. Guys, would you give me the timeline so we can all see this together? And so we have the rapture of the church. When we're raptured, we look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the judgment of whether you're saved or lost. That is the judgment of reward. And so we'll all stand, as believers, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat is the word. So what we saw in Corinth is the, is the wording, the judgment seat. It's the, same, uh, the same, uh, same wording there and really has more the idea of standing before a, um, uh, before a, 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 a set of Olympic judges that are determining uh, the level of your reward. And so we're going to stand before him. You will not be condemned to hell. No condemnation now. I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, right? Hymn 186, and can it be, what a wonderful song that is, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and so well, uh, well, God is bringing judgment upon the earth and his own people during the seven years of tribulation. You had the first three and a half, the tribulation, the second three and a half, the great tribulation, and where, where God is, where multitudes of people are being judged and multitudes of people are dying. We think that there's pandemics now. Listen, this, that's going to be a time um, no one wants to be on earth. No one wants to be on earth, and you don't want to be here either. And uh, be, be ready for the coming of the Lord. And so we have the second coming after that, the millennial rule, and then we have the great white throne, uh, the, the melting of the, uh, of the earth with a fervent heat, the destruction. God's not going to destroy it by, um, by flood. He will destroy it by fire. And uh, new heavens and new earth will be created, and we have the eternal state forever and ever um, will be with the Lord. And it'll be a wonderful thing. And so that's a simplified timeline. There's other things that happen in the end times. But just always remember that the next thing we're awaiting, uh, awaiting is the rapture of the church. The rapture. I want you to turn over to First uh, Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13. And notice in verse number 13 a little bit about this rapture. So think about this blessed. While you're turning there, I want everyone to turn there and have that open in front of you. This word blessed is the idea of happy or fortunate. And so Jesus says that the hope that we have out in front of us, the confident expectation, not the hope so, maybe so, but the confident expectation is the idea of hope, that that confident expectation that Jesus Christ is going to return and snatch us away uh, is a blessed hope. It's a blessed hope. It's a happy hope. You ought to be a happy believer because Jesus is coming again. That ought to be your mood. Jesus is coming again. And he is coming very soon. And so we look forward to that. By the way, let me just say one more thing. Uh, he does not come down to the earth at the rapture. He snatches us away. Let's read about that. Are you there at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13? All right, let's read together. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. The Bible's referring to those that are dead there. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. All right, they don't have a confident expectation. They, they aren't looking for the return. Have you ever been to a funeral of a lost individual? They have no hope beyond the grave. You talk about difficult. Very, very, very difficult. For, it, in fact, uh, many times... Many times in our world now, it seems that we're getting away from even having funerals because we don't even want to face the fact of death. And that, that's a result of people having no hope. There is no hope. It's, it, there is no joy uh, in, in, that, in that time because there's no hope um, beyond the grave. Verse 14, for if we believe 
that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, by God's authority, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Those that are in the grave, uh, your saved loved ones, uh, past uh, believers and so on, we're not going to prevent them. So those that are alive and remain are right now, that's us. All right? Can you imagine if we're the generation, if we are it, the terminal generation, the generation that's going to see the Lord coming in the clouds? 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Think about that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Have you put a loved one in the, in, the, in the ground that knows the Lord? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, read the next two words with me, caught up. Children, read those words with me, caught up, all right? There's our word or there's the idea of the word rapture, caught up. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, where is he? In the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so here's the description of the rapture. We look forward to that time, that time ahead of the tribulation. Now, some say, well, what about maybe, maybe um, Jesus will come back in the middle of the tribulation. Maybe it's after the tribulation. The Bible says, in the letters to the churches, in the letters to the churches, in Revelation 3 and verse number 10, be, um, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that are upon the earth. And God gave a promise. Jesus, the head of the church, gave a promise to his church. Hey, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to guard you from that hour. I'm going to keep you from that hour. And I don't know about you, right? There's a really good place to say amen. And I'm thankful for that. And so uh, as God judges the earth, he is going to snatch away right before that. He's going to snatch away uh, the, his people, he's going to rapture them away. And do understand that at that point, the Antichrist will be revealed, he'll be on stage, and he will, he will bring a message of peace to the world. And finally, finally, he'll bring peace to the world. Are we not primed and ready for that moment? Is there not a longing for peace? What do we do with Russia? And what do we do with China? And what do we do with the whole Ukraine situation? And maybe we've been here before. Uh, I don't know because I haven't lived in past generations. But the, fa the fact is, it seems we're so primed for a man to step forward and say, I have all the answers. And Israel sign on with him. And they'll be sorely, they'll be sorely disappointed come the midpoint of the tribulation when he turns on them and, and calls on them to worship him. Uh, Satan has his antichrists. And there are many antichrists in the world, but there is a man that will be revealed uh, when the church is, is taken away. And I'm thankful, again, that we do not have to endure that, but we should be mindful of this, that that is our confident expectation. That is our confident expectation. But there's a personal nature to this, this verse and i want you to notice there how it says and the the glorious appearing of the great god and what's the next word our 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 savior jesus christ our savior jesus christ now think about this 
It's not just the rapture of the church that's our confident expectation. It is the appearing of Jesus himself. It's not just some impersonal event you know, that we get to be a part of with everyone else. It is, it is the appearance of Jesus himself to you and me. It is his, his presence, uh, him calling us into his presence and calling us up to be with him. And, and, and yes, we'll stand before him and to receive reward. And yes, we'll, we'll go through the marriage supper of the Lamb and all those wonderful, wonderful things. But it's his divine presence, his divine appearance, his divine manifestation. I remember back when I was in uh, school, I did ACE, which was Accelerated Christian Education and it changed to uh, School of Tomorrow. It was basically uh, uh, self-guided paces, booklets of, of information, read and answered the questions, had tests and so on. You had monitors that helped you, helped you through. But we had this thing, A, B, honor roll in the school. And so when you got certain grades, when you kept your grades up to a certain level, you could be on the A honor roll or the B honor roll. The A honor roll uh, got to go out to, I don't know if it was once a, once a semester, once a quarter, I kind of forget about that. I think it was once a semester, you got to go out to, uh, you got to go out to a restaurant on an activity um, be honorable you got to go out to a restaurant you know and just uh, with no activity or something uh, something along that lines but uh, my pastor and uh, the uh, who was also the principal would uh, would would lead that as far as I can remember and you know there was kind of especially as a young one uh, there's a uh, there's there's this anticipation when is he going to come and when is this going to happen looking forward to this this special day and you know there's that sense of anticipation and waiting for him because this is a really special opportunity to go out and enjoy this uh, this together and and so on so I, I think about that even as we await the lord jesus christ you know it's one thing to wait for a special person someone that's going to undo something special with you it's one thing to wait there but it's a whole nother thing to wait for the lord jesus christ and to wait for him himself he's not sending an angel he's coming himself he will appear in the clouds, and the Bible says that the appearing of, our, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you seen him before? Did you get to be there on the road to Damascus? Did you get to be there at his resurrection? Did you get to be there at the cross? No, no, we haven't seen him before, but on that day we will see him. God is coming for us. God himself is coming for us. My Savior who died for me. Uh, Jesus, as he's described here, the one who saves, and by definition of his name, the one who is the Savior. Uh, Christ, the one who's been promised from the very moment of sin in the gar garden, the one that had been promised all the way throughout human history that would come and die in our place for our sins. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We will be glorified, for we shall see him as he is. Think of it, friends. The personal nature, Jesus is appearing, and he will appear, and it may be today. It may be this week. I don't know, but the fact is he is coming. This is our confident, blessed hope. Wonderful, wonderful message that we get to think about tonight revelation 1 and verse number 7 behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also that uh, which pierced him and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen uh, john said even so come lord jesus come on i'm ready for you maranatha i'm ready for you i think of the hymn face to face with christ my savior thinking about the words of that. Why don't you turn to 676, 676, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be? 
when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. What a, what a wonderful hymn. I've always thought that it was Fanny Crosby that wrote this hymn. It, it wasn't Fanny Crosby that wrote this hymn. And so uh, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting story. It was actually written by a, 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 house, a housewife, a mother, ladies. Think about that. There was a, a man that, uh, that, that had written down a poem and he had set to music. He was around, uh, around dinner time with his, with his friends and uh, they had set down a, 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 uh, to dinner and, and had finished and they had, well, let me just get my train of thought here while I, while I find this hymn right now. I want to read you about this. I failed to put a bookmark in this. Face to face with Christ my Savior. I want to read this. Carrie Elizabeth, uh, Mrs. Frank Breck, was a homemaker and mother of five in Portland, Oregon, who wrote hymns in the midst of her housework. I penciled verses under all conditions, she once replied, over mending a mending basket with a baby on my arm, and sometimes even when sweeping or washing dishes, my mind moved in poetic meter. Frail in health, however, she often recorded her poems in a notebook while resting in her favorite rocking chair. This man, uh, Grant Colfax Tuller, had received this, uh, this poem from her in the mail. But he had written a, a hymn. Uh, they, had, they had finished dinner, and uh, they were passing around the, uh, the jar of jelly. And uh, as, it came to, uh, as it came to Grant, uh, it was a nearly empty jar of jelly, and uh, and. And he basically said, so this is all that is uh, for me, is it? And he kind of just uh, stunned that it was empty. And he said, smiling, uh, that little phrase, all for me, prompted an idea. He rose and went over to the piano and on the spot composed the words and melody of a hymn entitled, All for Me, the Savior Suffered. All for Me, He Bled and Died. Uh, and Reverend Reed reportedly sang it uh, in that church or at the church that very, very night. But the next morning, he received this packet of poems from this, um, from this lady or uh, that this lady had, had written. And he's like, this is amazing. This, this, uh, this poem fits perfectly the meter uh, that I just wrote down yesterday, face to face with Christ my Savior. Why don't we sing this face to face with Christ my Savior? Face to face, what will it be? And let's just sing it a cappella right there. Now lift up your voices together. Enjoy it face to face. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him. Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. I shall see him by and by. What a thought. Face to face with him. And you know what? No matter whether you're doing housework around your home or whether you're at work, you can be reminded of this confident expectation, and you should be. You should be. 
that confident expectation, that blessed hope that he has given to us. In fact, I want to encourage you in this way. If you're not ready for the soon appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be ready. And in two ways I say that. If you do not know for certain that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven, you need to be ready. But if you're struggling in your relationship with the Lord and you're not walking as you ought, you need to be ready. First John says, he that has this hope in him purifies himself. The one that's looking for his coming purifies himself. Why? Because no one wants to be caught in front of the Savior who died for us living in sin. And so while we're not perfect, the fact of the matter remains, we must, we must be ready for his coming. We must be readying ourselves. Be a pure person for his coming. That is what Jesus wants, a pure church. He's washing the church. He's cleansing the church by the water of the word. Paul said this, he said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Doesn't matter what age you are, we need to love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, there's a crown that awaits the person that loves the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must, we must realize he is personally, God is coming for us, and we ought to be ready. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Are you ready to see him tonight? Friends, we could stand before the judgment seat of Christ this evening. Are you ready for that? Does that send a tear? He says it's a blessed hope. He's the one that said it's a blessed hope. And if it is not a blessed hope to you, maybe tonight there's some things that need to get dealt with so that it can be your blessed hope, your happy hope. Lord, I look forward to that day. And there's nothing going to be um, um, compared to what awaits us in heaven. Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing at all. I remember before I got married, oh Lord, I'd like to get married. I'd like to experience marriage before, before, um, before that. But you know what? Uh, the, the, uh, marriage is an amazing thing. I, we've been married almost 15 years. I love marriage, but I look forward to being with my Savior. And my wife and I both are growing in that, that longing for the Savior, looking forward to that. I'm thankful for marriage. Uh, and I'll just say that again. I'm thankful for marriage. And all the guys said, amen. Praise the Lord. But w- being with the Savior is going to trump every single experience here on earth. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Are you ready for the trumpet sound? But that leads Paul to say, hey, listen, there ought to be an upward look, an upward focus, but hold up. There ought to be a, there ought to be a focus backward too. Notice in verse number uh, 14, who gave himself for us. We can't look for the coming of the Lord without remembering how, how we've been positioned to, to be prepared and to be uh, eligible for the coming of the Lord, if you will, uh, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And so we ought to be constantly appreciating this, our Savior's sacrifice. Do you see how he says, and he gave himself for us. The idea of gave is to relinquish one's life, to endure a loss of someone or something. But the real idea is to a a, a libation or a pouring out, a sacrifice that's poured out. So I want you to get the picture. Paul's using a very unique word here that's not used everywhere in describing the sacrifice of the Savior that Jesus was poured out, who poured out his life for you and I, who poured out himself. John 3, 16, the same word is used there. For God so loved the world that he gave. He poured out his, uh, his son 
for us that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this was a willing, substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And after he said that, he yielded up the ghost. He gave it up. John 10 and verse number 15. And the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I give it up. It's a willing sacrifice. It's a willing pouring out who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. So he poured himself out for you and I. We ought to remember that. We ought to appreciate that. Every day we ought to wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And God's heart is that we remember that. In fact, that's why he gave us the ordinance of the Lord's table. We ought to remember it every day, but as we come to the Lord's table as as a church, we're not there to gain merit, but we're there to remember his death until he comes again, until he shows up in the cloud. We're to remember it. As Baptists, we have two ordinances, baptism, which is an identification with his sacrifice, his death, his burial, and the resurrection, but also the Lord's table, which another symbol uh, identifies us or reminds us of his death until he comes. And so we ought to remember our Savior's sacrifice. We ought to constantly be appreciating our Savior's sacrifice, but also our Savior's salvation, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. The word redeem is the idea to liberate. I like the sound of that, don't you? Liberate to free, to set free, to ransom, to, to, to bring, uh, bring someone back from captivity, to, to rescue a captured person by paying the price demanded for their return. Held hostage by sin, you were. And he went to the cross and paid the price for your return. And he, he paid the price by giving up his life. He, he rescued us from all our iniquity. Now notice this. The, word, the Bible doesn't make any mistakes here. He says he redeemed us from how much iniquity? All iniquity. All iniquity. Now grab that tonight. Be thankful for that tonight. Aren't you thankful that he didn't do an 80-20 deal with you? They didn't sit down and negotiate with you and say, now, now how much can you do and how much uh, do you want me to do? And, and negotiate, run a hard bargain. No, Jesus didn't do that. He went to the cross to liberate us from all our iniquity, all of our lawlessness. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse number 4 that sin is a transgression of the law. We're all lawless. We're all lawbreakers in God's eyes. And he went to the cross to redeem us from the consequences of our law-breaking. And all sin means past sin, present sin, future sin. All of it has been paid for. All of it has been put under the blood. And the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Praise the Lord. Yes, we're freed not to sin, he says, did you notice that? Let's look again. The Bible's very, very clear. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. What? From. From all iniquity. So next time you're around a person that says, hey, you know what? God's not interested in the way that you live. You know, we're, we're under grace, you know. We're under grace. And, and it doesn't matter as long as you have a, a genuine heart. Right? And, and it's said in different ways. And, and next time you're around a person like that, you can take him to uh, uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, who gave himself, poured his life, poured his life out for me, that he might redeem me from 
not to, from all iniquity. It's all over Scripture. You cannot go to the Bible and find grace that, that opens the way up for sinfulness. Grace always is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And so he's redeemed us from us. Why would we want to go back to it? Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Romans 6, number 1, verse number 2 says, God forbid. Exactly what Paul is saying here. He's redeemed us from all iniquity. We're to stand fast in liberty. We're not to go back into the, on to, to the law living trying to make ourselves good enough for God, which in and of itself is a sin. We're not to go back into that bondage. We're to stand fast in the liberty that he has given in himself. He's liberated us. He's ransomed us. He's paid the full penalty for our sin. But it's not just his sacrifice we should appreciate. It's not just the salvation we should appreciate. But notice the sanctification that he gives to us and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day you got saved, he started that good work. Praise the Lord for that. He started the good work in you, and he's working it out in your life, bringing you closer and closer to himself, drawing you to himself. The question is, are we allowing him to do that? But we should celebrate the fact. We should rejoice in the fact. We should constantly appreciate the fact our Savior is sanctifying, setting me, a, me a, apart unto him. The idea of purify is to cleanse, to cleanse, to purge the evil. Don't you want Jesus to purify you of your uncleanness, of the evil that contaminates, of the wrongdoing, of the wrong thinking? of the struggles. Don't you want Jesus to purify you? He wants to. He wants to. We must submit. He says, purify unto himself. This isn't something to be distant from him. He wants to draw us close by purifying us, make us more like him. And what's his purpose? He wants to purify a peculiar people, a special people, not, not a weird. We think of that word um, peculiar as weird. That's not the idea. He wants, to, he wants to make us a special people, specially adapted for his purpose. Now think about that. You go into the, the military and they're going to put you through training to be specially adapted or reserved for a particular purpose. The Green Berets, the Army Rangers, the Special Forces, specially adapted for a specific purpose, right? But Jesus is purifying you for a specific purpose. God doesn't just work in days of our life. He works over a lifetime, purifying us and changing us and making us more like himself for a specific purpose. And friends, you don't know if you've even, if you've even touched your specific purpose. Sometimes, it, like Esther, you're here in the kingdom for such a time as this. For this moment in time, God has been working in your life and, and preparing you and purifying you and, and uh, working and shaping and guiding you to this specific um, place for the specific purpose. Jesus is doing that in our lives, purifying us unto himself so that we can be adapted for a specific purpose, but the specific purpose includes good works. Good works, good works flow from a, a saved and purified life. I want us to notice that tonight. Good works flow from a saved and purified life. That's what's being said here in verse number 14. Sometimes we say, well, we're, we're saved and out of our salvation, uh, there should be good works. But friends, I'll tell you, you're not interested in doing much good works when you're living carnally. 
You're not interested in loving, loving the brethren when we're living carnally. When we are allowing sin to dwell in us, we don't get focused on doing good works for others. We get the eyes all focused on us, don't we? May I just draw a point here? The Bible says, and purify unto himself a peculiar people who are zealous of good works. Perhaps the reason that we struggle in our zeal to do good works and to have a focus on others is we've not allowed the Savior to purify us like he wants to. If we're close to the Savior, we're going to have his heart to do good works for others. Good works don't save us. But as James says in chapter number two, a, a, a faith that doesn't have good works is a dead faith. Is a dead faith. We're to be zealous. We're to work. We're to, we're to give attention to doing good works. That's even said multiple times throughout this passage of Scripture. So our Savior sacrificed himself for our salvation and our sanctif uh, sanctification. And the question is, are we allowing him to sanctify us? Are we allowing him to change us? Are we allowing his word to be heard and then to be responded to? Are we allowing the Lord to change us? But one more thought here tonight. We are, as a church, to have a focus on our confident expectation. He's coming again. Praise the Lord. He's coming again. We're to constantly be looking back and appreciating what he's done for us in his sacrifice. But we ought to be focused on, in verse number 15, we ought to be focused on this constructive application, constantly looking to apply God's truth to our lives. Now notice what Paul tells Titus to be uh, making sure that he's doing there in the church. These things, what things? Well, everything I've said in chapter number two, all these practical aspects, all these things that become sound doctrine, these things speak exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Apply the truth to their living. Apply the truth, Titus, to your living. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, and verse number 15, but speak the truth in love. What happens when that happens? What happens when we speak the truth in love to one another? Well, that we may grow up into him, Jesus, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, you and I have the incredible power to speak words of edification to one another that encourages and strengthens one another. So this constructive application, well, I mean, uh, sometimes there's de deconstructive application where we take truth and we use it kind of like a, uh, a sledgehammer or a billy club. You know what I'm talking about? Where we get all zealous and uh, maybe... Maybe we'd be likened to a James and John, the sons of thunder, saying the right things, not the right attitude, saying the right things, but not dependent on the Holy Spirit's timing. Okay, constructive application. Constructive application. You know, there's sometimes that the Holy Spirit's timing is just not now. There have been times that I've had something on my, on my, work, on my, my mouth, or I've had a text written out, and it's like the Holy Spirit says, not now. Not now. There have been times I've wanted to say something in the pulpit and the Holy Spirit says, not now. Not now. You know, most of the time, every time I should say, I'm glad I listened to the Holy Spirit. Um, and you know what I'm talking about. Constructive application. That means that we're allowing the Word to do the work. Sometimes we try to help out the Word. Sometimes we try to be the Holy Spirit to people. You know, God's timetable for another person's change in sanctification is not necessarily your timetable and my timetable. Uh, and that goes all ways within a church. 
we have perspective on one another's life, and well, I, I really think they ought to be dealing with this issue in their life right now. And sometimes it's not where the Holy Spirit's focused on in their life right now. And the best thing you can do is love them and constructively encourage them. Encourage them. So what was Titus supposed to do? He was to constructively apply. It was first, notice here, the first command there is these things, what? Speak. These things speak. This constructive application is spoken. It's spoken. It's spoken very, uh, very clearly. It's declared but he's not just to declare it. He's to exhort and encourage them. Bring them along. Love them. Be as the Holy Spirit of them. Uh, be that paraclete, that, that comforter, the one that brings them along. Kind of a Barnabas. Bring them along. Encourage them. Listen, in this place, I said this morning that we ought to have a culture of kindness, not criticism. We need us to have a culture of humility. We're all growing in comparison to Jesus Christ. And a culture of love unconditional love by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another and so friends how important it is for us as we speak the truth that we love unconditionally we love unconditionally doesn't mean we condone sin not at all sin has to be dealt with but sin must be dealt with in god's time and according to god's word and so he says titus i want you to speak the word i want you to declare it i want you to encourage them along it doesn't always happen just in the pulpit ministry. It happens along the way in prayer, text, in our day, not in Titus's day. Many different ways. But he says, and also, there's going to be times you've got to rebuke Titus. Oh, that's not fun. How many of you like conf confrontation? Not at all. But Titus, as a pastor and friends, there's times that I have to confront people. I don't like it. Not at all. Not at all. But Titus was told, uh, you're going to have to rebuke. Now, I want us to notice here, and let's just again, this is very important for us, look at verse number 15. These things speak. These things speak. Do you see that? These things, these things. Are, are we clear on what these things are? It's a sound doctrine, chapter 2, the sound doctrine, the application of sound doctrine. These things speak. Grace not a license of sin. It helps to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Older men teach the younger men. Older women teach the younger women. Have right relationships. Don't be lazy at work. So on. These things speak. These things speak. Where did Titus's authority to speak, to exhort, and to rebuke, according, uh, where did that authority come from? It came from these things. What is these things? It's the word of God. Friends, I want us to realize, again, it's not Titus's authority. Paul was not saddling him with, you got to go in there and you got to make a work of it. You go in there with the word of God, declare the word of God, don't take apology for it, just declare the word of God, love them along the way, encourage them, exhort them, rebuke them when you need to, but these things speak. That's the authority, the authority of the word of God. And friends, when we open up the word of God and in this place allow the word of God to speak into our hearts, it's not me that you have an issue with it's not someone else another teacher that you have the issue with it's it's the word of god and i want i want us to realize you have a responsibility to the word of god to obey the word of god no matter what and that's what i want to be exposed in this pulpit oftentimes is the word of god always i want it to be exposed the word of god these things are to be spoken these things are to be exhorted these things are to be rebuked with all authority with all authority Titus had the right to open up the Word of God. He had the responsibility to open up the Word of God and say, this is what God says, now let's, let's live it. 
this is the word of God. That's what God's word says. Let's put it into practice tomorrow. Hey, brother, been noticing. I'm concerned about this. This is what God's word says. Is there anything I can do to help you along in this? Could I keep you accountable? Do you mind if I touch base with you every once in a while uh, to talk about this? Uh, brother, I need to confront you on something. Uh, this, this is, I, I've been noticing this in your life, and uh, this is going to hurt you if you, don't, if you don't pay attention to it. You know, uh, a pastor, Titus, would not have been a good pastor if he wasn't willing to speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority according to these things. These things. You know, I remember, and I've said this to a couple um, people who I consider mentors in my life, if there's anything you see in my life that is of concern to you, I'd like for you to, I give you permission to talk to me about it. I have a pastor friend that I've said that to. I've said that to a couple at least. I said that to my father-in-law when, when I was serving with him as assistant pastor. There's something in my life that does not line up with the word of God. I give you permission to talk to me about it. And I'd say that right in, in this place, it ought, to be, it ought to be okay for the spiritual leader to speak into a life. Hey, this isn't, this isn't right. Let's have that type of attitude. Let's love that. Why? Because it's how we're growing. It's how we're being sanctified. And uh, it, it really the heart is, I want to be pastored. I, I, I want to hear the application of truth. I want to hear the exhortation. I want to hear the rebuke if needed, as it is these things that God has given to be, um, to be spoken. So it is, it is to be spoken. It is serious. Notice in verse number 15, let's read that last phrase together. Let no man despise thee. All right. This is so important that the apostle Paul says, uh, Titus, you cannot be deterred from this. If the church is going to be healthy there in in, in Crete, you cannot, you cannot be deterred from this. You must do it no matter what the response is. You must do it. Uh, even if someone looks down on you with contempt, you must stay focused on this. Titus was told not to let people despise him. Even those that claim the name of Jesus Christ, don't let them despise you when you speak these things. Now there's sometimes where someone will get off, a pastor get off an opinion and and have a hobby horse and, and so on. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't attach it to a, a word of scripture, maybe a preference and, and so on. But we're talking about these things applied into our lives. And when he, he was doing that, he was not to allow people to despise him. That doesn't mean he, he, he stood up and, and said, don't despise me, and you know, I'm the pastor, and don't despise me, that type of you know, attitude, all right? That wasn't, that's not the idea here. The idea is, don't be deterred. Don't be deterred. And the matter here in front of Titus was he might have been hearing there in the, in the church at Crete. Remember Paul said that they, they, they struggled even with laziness. They, they were gossips and, and, and they struggled with these types of things. And he says, uh, hey, don't be deterred. When they say it's just your opinion, Titus, don't be deterred. When they say you're not old enough, to give a, a, par, a piece of parenting advice, don't be deterred. When they say, you haven't been through this before like I have, don't be deterred. When they say other pastors, I've heard of other pastors on the radio or on a podcast or on YouTube that uh, don't believe the same thing you believe, uh, don't be deterred. When they say, I've counseled with other godly individuals, don't be deterred. It's amazing how when we want to make a case for what we're doing in our lives, 
we can simply say, I've counseled with other people, and that automatically makes it okay. Sometimes the pastor's the last to hear. I've counseled with other people, not my pastor, but I've counseled with other people, and therefore what I'm about to tell you is okay. I hear it, and friends, it breaks my heart. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says for me not to let that, that despising deter me from applying the truth. And so Titus was told the same thing. When people just leave, and rather than dealing with, with a matter in a mature way, and saying, hey, pastor, let's set up a, a, a conversation, or rather than going to another church member who's maybe offended them, say, hey, uh, could, we, could we talk? Because we need to get something, we need to get the air cleared. Rather than just uh, leaving, uh, they, they go on and, and despise, and rather than just taking care of it. Oftentimes, despising is an indiv- indication of conviction that is, is being resisted. And uh, Paul says to Titus, Titus, don't, don't let them look down. Don't let the contempt deter you from speaking these things. He told Timothy the same thing. It must have been a, a need told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation, in charity and spirit, in faith and purity. Do you know what Paul was telling Timothy? Just move on. Just keep on doing the right thing. Keep on preaching the truth. In First Timothy 4, he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And how important it is for us to learn to appreciate this type of application, the constructive application that encourages us on to holiness, to right relationships, to, to forgiveness, to freedom from addiction, to godly parenting and godly marriage, to godly love and godly uh, witnessing and gospel witnessing and tithing and giving and moral purity and prayer. All these things being encouraged. Titus, speak these things. Don't let anyone despise you. Don't be deterred. And I ask you to be a church, and I'm thankful that, that you are, and let's continue to be a church that leans into spiritual growth, that leans into saying, I want the word of God. I, I want to hear when something's out of whack in my life so I can grow and be more set apart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can focus on so many things in the world. The world has 101 things it wants to fo- on you to focus on before you get home tonight. We can focus on many, many different things, but let's have a focus of a healthy church, which is our confident expectation. Right now, Jesus could come again. Praise the Lord. He could come tonight. Praise the Lord. I'm constantly appreciating the fact he died in my place. And I'm constantly looking for the truth to be applied into my life. I don't want to just go hear uh, uh, nice messages and uh, things that, that tickle my, my, my theological um, uh, fancy, you know, the, the, the thirst I have for theology or whatever, but I want to hear it applied into my life. I want to live the truth out. I don't want it just to be some lofty thing. I want to live the truth out. And friends, when these are our focuses, boy, we have a right focus. We have a healthy focus. And that's the focus that... Paul was encouraging Titus to develop there in the church at Crete. And let's ask God to help us to keep this focus as we go into this week for his glory. Father, right now, we need your help. The world wants us to focus. Satan constant. He's a master, Father, at, at getting us to be distracted with wrong focuses. Didn't he do that with Eve in the garden? And he just got her focused on, on the negative things about you uh, and what you are keeping from her and, and she fell because she got off-focused. 
Lord, we, we fall because we forget that we're risen with you and you told us to seek those things which are above. Lord, help us to constantly be remembering you're coming again. To constantly be remembering you died for us. To constantly be desiring, yearning for your truth to be applied into our lives. Lord, help us with these, this focus and may we be a healthy church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, and in the quiet of this moment, I invite you to find a place to pray this evening and ask the Lord, Lord, I want a right focus. I want, I want a healthy focus. And let's just right now, let's do business with the Lord, find a place to kneel and, and commit these things to the Lord. How's your focus tonight? How's your focus? How's your focus? Have you gotten um, just you know, down in the weeds and, 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 and forgetting the fact that he's coming again? Lord, I want to go through this week Focus on the fact you're coming again. Right now, no matter what the music's doing, you, uh, you, you do business with the Lord. Seek the Lord. I want to be focused on you. Could I encourage you in this way? Our church focus is made up of our individual focuses. It matters that you're looking for His coming. It matters that you're constantly appreciating the sacrifice of the Savior. It matters that you come to this service and these services. It matters that you come to Wednesday night with a heart to hear the truth applied to your life. It matters. Your focus will rub off on others. It matters. Amen. You may look this way. I want you to be ready for 676. We'll finish out with that final verse as a closing hymn tonight. Brother Caleb, you had an announcement about the 28th. We have this uh, Thursday night. We'd like for you to be at our home if you're working on, uh, on the Adventure uh, Camp team. We're going to have a wonderful time together, and hopefully it'll be nice weather where we can start a fire. Make sure, hey, if you could, bring along a lawn chair. That would be helpful. And uh, if you have one of those folding ones, if not, we have some, but we don't have uh, a, a lot. But come and enjoy the fellowship there. And we're just trying to have a team time together. And uh, let's all be praying. Let's every one of us be praying for Adventure Camp and asking God to work and uh, save souls and, uh, and bring families into our church. Are you with me on that? Amen? Amen. And give that announcement or the other announcements. <coughs> So if you'd like to be involved in Adventure Camp, please grab a form from the Welcome Center, fill that out, and turn it into the office. <clears throat> so we have a good number of, uh, good idea of who's going to be here to help with Adventure Camp. And then, um, yes, speed at Pastors at 6 this Thursday. The next prop prep day is May 14th. This is a Saturday at 10 a.m. You can sign up for that out in the lobby at the table. <clears throat> They'll put your name down there if you're able to help. And then May 14th also starts the 13-week outreach. Uh, we'll be getting, getting ready uh, for Adventure Camp and passing out flyers for that. So you can also sign up at the same table for that as well. May 18th is the Adventure Kids Club dinner and the program that they'll be doing. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. Be here for that. 
And do not forget to sign up uh, your kids or teens that are going to camp before June 1st to get the $100 uh, cost there. The 15th, so we're changing it from the second um, Sunday night to the third Sunday night because of Mother's Day. The 15th, we have the snack attack. So the 15th teens will be going to Freddy's for the snack attack. And then we have a youth activity at the end of the month, the 28th. That is a Saturday, so it'll be 3 p.m. We'll meet here at the church where we're going to go to Delco Park for some volleyball as well as grilling out. So be here at 3 o'clock the 28th for that. And that's all the announcements. Pastor? Amen. All right. Now, the 18th, the, the, uh, the, the Adventure Kids Club program is finishing up of their school year, and uh, they're actually going to have um, a program that they present here in the auditorium on that Wednesday night. So we all want to be here. And it's, uh, it's Patch Goes to the Jungle, right? And uh, so they're working hard on that. There'll be a jungle up here the Sunday before. Uh, they've gotten clearance to, to build it up here. And so we're going to meet on that Sunday before in a jungle. And so we're looking forward to that. And uh, so be praying uh, that there will be families that come for, uh, for that. Uh, before we are dismissed, I need to call us into, um, into business. I mentioned last Sunday uh, about, um, about Brother Morris Betry uh, resigning, retiring from uh, financial secretary. And so uh, we propose that Mike Sakazi will fill out the rest of his term for the rest of the calendar year. And uh, so that is the proposal, and uh, that's the motion from, um, from the deacons tonight. Is there anyone that would have any questions about that this evening? Can I have a second to that motion? Brother Rick Shoemaker, all in favor, say aye. aye. Opposed by the same? Okay, and thank you for that, and they'll be making that transition. Do thank Brother Betry for all of his diligent labor over the years. We do appreciate uh, his investment into our into our church, and that's such a blessing. I know he's out. I think he's out in the lobby. But um, behind the scenes, that man has done a lot to help our church in that in that area, and we give them uh, give just give appreciation for that. So please let him know that tonight. All right. Am I missing anything else? 676. Let's sing that last verse as we leave tonight. Face to face, a blissful moment. Face to face, to see and know on that last. 676. Lift your voices. Face to face, a blissful moment. Face to face, to see and know. With my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loved me so. Face to face, I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face, in all his glory, I shall see. see you on Wednesday night or in the air or in the air and uh, so whenever the Lord comes we're looking forward to that day God bless you have a wonderful week